Niños en el arco, la defensa es colosal González, Orlando, La Torre, Nicolás Fuentes y Chumpitas Chalemí, Frin y Cubillas y el gran Perico León Bailón y Alberto Gallardo completan Welcome back to the Peruvian Waltz podcast. I'm your host, Peter Galindo. No, your eyes are not deceiving you and your ears are not deceiving you. We have indeed released shows in back-to-back weeks. It's a monumental start to 2020. Uh, joining me this evening is uh, Christopher Viscardo. It's just the two of us tonight. So, Christopher, how are you doing? I'm doing great, you know, just uh, like the good old days. I remember back in the day there was a lot of episodes that so we had just uh, you and me. Getting to talk some Peruvian soccer. Uh, excited. A lot of things happening in Peru in many aspects, uh, including soccer. Now that we have uh, the Libertadores that just kicked off and the tournament kicking off here pretty soon. Yeah, it's. Uh, I think we got plenty to talk about. We always do, which is why we love to talk about this, because we're never short on topics. Well, you mentioned it there, Viz. Uh, the Libertadores began tonight, that is Tuesday night, uh, and it was Universitario in action in Venezuela against Carabobo, and they got the 1-1 draw there. However, Jonathan Dos Santos got a very late equalizer with a shot from distance, um, because Lau trailed mere seconds into the second half, and then seemingly woke up after they fell behind. So it could have been one of those typical nights for a Peruvian club in Comeball competition. Um, at least for now, it doesn't look like it is going to be. But Viz, what were your thoughts on the match from Lau's perspective? I've, I was disappointed uh, with Lau's performance for sure. Uh, I felt that especially in the first half, there was a few plays there that the only reason why... Uh, Lau did not score was because the top four were just not somehow they, they kept trying to uh, find the right pass or find the right angle instead of shooting at the wide open net uh, to, to Carabobo's credit I, I think their defense was alright I think that they especially gave Lau trouble in the midfield but once Lau was able to clear that hurdle then it was uh, wide open for them. And I, I, I honestly think that I guess we could use the usual, you know, the, the, the excuse that we use every January, which is, well, you know, they haven't played together too much. They just started and so forth. But honestly, I was just not, not happy with their performance at all. I, I honestly think that it could have been a solid two zero three zero for, for Universitario, but, I don't know. I, I would I would personally blame it on on um, their top four on on their on their strikers and their wings and uh, I think that there needs to be a little bit more uh, coordination between them. Yeah, it was almost reminiscent of watching La Selección in how selective Lau were with their shooting, um, and you're just screaming at them like, "Take a shot! You've got at the very least it goes out." for a goal kick and then you don't get countered on like really that's the worst case scenario but given where they had the ball and where they were in the box especially with that flurry of chances what was it around the half hour mark one of those could have easily gone in if Millan had just shot or if Quintero had just shot Um, and they hesitated and eventually well guess what Dos Santos ended up shooting he took a chance and it went in it just goes to show you sometimes if you just take a hit it's going to go in for you. And Dos Santos, credit to him, he was able to get the equalizer and save Lau's blushes. You know, Viz, what, what kind of surprised me about this game was just, 
I suppose just the kind of Jekyll and Hyde we saw from certain players. Like there were some standouts certainly, but there were also some not so great players. And obviously it's the first competitive game of 2020 for them. And this is, you know, the group playing together all at once. But, you know, maybe there are a couple players that we should be watching for better or worse as the games go on here. So which players in your eyes performed well in the game? Well, I think Carvalho had a had a pretty decent performance. Other other than the goal, I think in general the the goalie did pretty well. I, I no complaints from him. I personally also thought that Corso did a good job. The, the defense in general was, um, you know, I would give it five five to seven points. I mean, nothing nothing insanely good, but nothing bad. Just average and stable, in my opinion. Now, who else did well? Uh, you you could say Hobart had pretty good control of, of of his side of the pitch there. I think that out of all of those guys that were up front, I think I would give him the most credit. And as to the worst, yeah, I would say Mian has to do some more work and um, Quintero. I think I think Quintero has a lot to polish there. I think that there was a lot of times that uh, he had some clear chances that uh, somehow he felt like instead of taking a shot, he should be feeding the, the ball back to Mian or back to Hover. And it's like, uh, you know, you, you, you could have just taken that chance yourself. But, you know. <laughs> yeah, very true, actually. Um, I pretty much echo your sentiments. I think based on what you said, the midfield... Specifically, Alpha Jeme didn't maybe have the greatest of impact, at least on the ball defensively. I thought he was fine. Really, just that one chance that led to Carabobo's goal is the one time he kind of got caught out defensively, but otherwise, I thought he was perfectly fine. Um, and then I think the substitution in the first half when Jesus Barco came in, that maybe disrupted the rhythm a little bit because he obviously came in for who, who was uh, Guarderas came out. So that, that maybe disrupted things a little bit, but yeah, Quintero to me, other than the first half moments in the first half, he was quite frankly invisible. And the fact that Perez took off uh, Holberg instead of Quintero was a little bit surprising, but I mean, I guess the substitutions did work in a way because Urruti came on and had a bit of an impact as did Sukar kind of forming that partnership with, with Los Santos and kind of giving Lau a bit more of a presence in the box as I think they were lacking that, but yeah, certainly a lot to, to work on for Lau. There was a lot of hype, after the signings they made, um, it could still all come together when the season starts, but they definitely still have some gelling to do. Uh, so Viz, with all this said, do Lau get the job done next week in the second leg, or do we feel like the groundhog is going to emerge from its hole again? It would not be the first time that Lau has a really, really good game abroad and then just completely falls apart at home. I think that that one away goal is very, very valuable. If they can just kind of uh, put some elbow grease, if they can just get the, the, the pieces to work together, create a little bit more synergy and coordination on the pitch and take chances, for goodness gracious, I think they can seal it. You know, I honestly, Carabobo is not, it's not an amazing team at all. While they did give him some trouble, uh, there was a lot of moments where they were holding for the, you know, on for dear life there, and yeah, no, I, I honestly think that that one uh, away goal is going to be valuable, and if they can, you know, keep some 
decent defending like like they did this time around, then for sure we'll see him through at least this round. Whether they'll make it to the next round, um, yeah, I don't know. I still don't know if the Cerro Porteño is someone that they would be able to to defeat or not. I guess we would have a better prediction after we play uh, play that second leg at, at home. Yeah, I would agree with you on that. The fact that Lau didn't have their best game and maybe look a little bit out of sync and still got 26 shots on what was a not-so-great pitch, uh, I think that bodes well for the second leg, but you never want to be certain in these situations just because that they've gotten burnt in the past, as have many Peruvian clubs. We cannot have a repeat of Sulia and Sporting Cristal from last year. That was just ridiculous. So hopefully that does not happen. Before we move on to some more maybe national team matters, Viz, we got a question uh, regarding Cusco FC uh, from Matthew B at Matt B in YYC. Um, loving the Cusco FC rebrand. Uh, could you maybe expand on that a little bit? Uh, so Viz, what have your thoughts been on Cusco FC's rebrand of course the club formerly known as Real Garcilaso well like I said a, a few weeks ago I think it's a, a step in the right direction now I don't think that it's the most creative of names you know I think we're having too many FCs blink you know fill in the blink FCs around the world lately so they could have gone you know for something else but at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is to distance themselves from the Garcilaso brand, which already belongs to Deportivo Garcilaso, like I mentioned before. One of the biggest clubs in Cusco that has unfortunately never played in the first division, but has come close time and time again. Uh, they're a very solid Copa Peru side that I would be more than happy to see in the first division. Uh, Cusco FC, uh, the batch looks great. Now, it's lacking a little originality, again, because it's very, very similar, as some people have pointed out, to the to the regional coat of arms, you know, to the Cusco region coat of arms, which happens to be Machu Picchu in the middle and a red logo, you know, that says region of Cusco. <laughs> Think about it, they just really changed the colors and, you know, and it's still Cusco FC and they kind of repurposed that same badge. My only issue is that the color combination can be hard on the eyes if you stare at it for too long i think that it's flashy and nice when you when you just look at it once you know and and, and see the pattern uh for the new jersey especially if you remember there was that game against costa rica that peru played uh last year where they decided to wear black and gold and it's like i could not read the numbers on the jerseys I could not read the names on the jerseys. The kids were just too shiny. So, I mean, we'll see how they play it off. I think it's going to be a little bit difficult uh, to try to work with those metallic colors. But at the same time, it's deeply symbolic because gold was, you know, considered by the Incas to be the tears of the sun god. You know, I mean, it's deeply symbolic to the region. And I think to Peru in general, anyone that is from the Andes will identify with with that symbolism for sure. So I think it's a step in the right direction. I'd be curious to see if they end up changing the kit colors a little bit more uh, or, or what it is that they, they're able to do with that. Yeah, I'm sure they're going to have different kits for, you know, obviously their away kit or their third kit. Uh, just in case they run into that problem, I'm sure they're going to have different colors for their kits. Uh, but I'm, I'm with you on all that. I feel like... 
the colors make sense based on what it means to the region. Not a big fan of the name because I really like original names and that's just pretty lazy to me. Maybe they, they end up kind of adding a, a nickname, quote unquote, uh, in the future. But as for right now, I think that's the one real gripe I had with it. But certainly when it comes to the logo and the kits, I am a big fan, but I do want to see what it looks like on the pitch, like you said, Viz, just to kind of get the, the full judgment. So let's move over to some national team talk, not the senior national team, but the uh, under-23 national team, because Peru opened their Olympic qualifying campaign with a loss to Brazil. It was 1-0. Despite that, though, they didn't look too bad, especially after conceding. The fact they were heavily outpossessed and outshot 19 to 9, you have to say some moral victories can be taken from it. Now, you have to finish top two to advance in the next round, so losing is not, you know, especially right off the bat, is not ideal. But, Viz, I think it's safe to say that we did see some positives, especially individual performances in the game. So, uh, Renato the Sun at Renato underscore Sun asked us anyone that caught your eye? during the match against Brazil in terms of Peruvian players. So, Viz, were there anyone, or was there anyone in particular that stood out to you? I would say that the best out of that whole team was probably Marcos Lopez, uh, for sure. Uh, I think we also had some pretty decent uh, performances from from Pacheco, from Pretel, who are, I think are also worthy of, of, of praise. And for my boy Selly, honestly, come on, the kids, what? <laughs> what 17 18 yep, correct right and he's playing with the under 23s i i think that that's that's something that uh that should be highlighted for sure those those would be my highlights uh Celi, pacheco pretel and and i think like i said i think lopez had a good night too yeah i i agree with that i really like jim franco chavez i think it's a massive uh difference from what we saw at the Pan Am games just having him there and like next to I think what looked like a, a very solid partner in Caballero, of course, from uh, Municipal, they looked really solid together as a partnership. The one time they got carved open was for the goal. Um, and I mean, listen, when you're facing a team like Brazil with all the talent they have, that's going to happen. But it, it's honestly crazy how consistent Chavez is, despite the fact that he, when you look at it, maybe doesn't have the most experience, but he looks like he could be heading abroad very soon. And, and that was... That was an outstanding match for sure. We're going to speak more about Pacheco a little bit later, but he was also probably the most consistent attacking player along with Lopez in that match as well. Over towards the negative viz, uh, we got a question from uh, Soccer Peru at Soccer Peru 2 asking us our thoughts about uh, Christopher Olivares's consistently dreadful performances. Uh, so viz, what do you make of that comment? Unfortunately, the 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 listener is right. <laughs> as, as to the reason why, I don't know. I, I kind of want to blame it on Solano. Uh, he still doesn't inspire a lot of trust in me in general. Uh, I I understand that his strategy against Brazil, any coach strategy, you know, any coach in South America, their strategy against Brazil is going to be different than their strategy, uh, you know, against any other South American team, really. Uh, but when it comes to Brazil, you have to be extra careful. You, we've seen Gareca change his own strategy when facing Brazil. And uh, I want to say that that was the sacrifice that had to be had to be made with Olivares. I think that Peru tried to play on those uh, 
those counters, right? Just ho- waiting for Brazil to bring the ball to them, and then hoping to uh, get to get a chance, uh, a break, and and just break through to the other side. And I think it it kind of worked. But yeah, I mean, honestly, uh, if you're to ask me exactly what the issue is with Olivares, I I, I don't know if I have a straight answer. One interesting tidbit that he also mentioned that the listener did mention with the question is that uh, Christopher's father, Percy, actually works in the FPF. I believe it's in the communications department. Um, And of course, him and Alberto Solano are quite close. They're former teammates. Do do you think that maybe might have something to do with the fact that Olivares continues to get chances? Or do you think it's just a case of there's really nobody else who can play in the number nine role? That's that Peruvian, Peruvian tradition of uh, looking for shapes in the shadows. Now, to be fair, a lot of the times when people have question, you know, wonder about stuff like that. Unfortunately, it they you know, it the rumors happen to be true a lot. You know, at least sometimes. Right. You know, uh, I mean, if uh, if you're wondering why Peru's having elections on Sunday, that's exactly why. You know, in in one word, but. I, in this particular case, I think that, yes, I, I understand the relationship that Solano has with the with Olivares' dad, but I, I do trust El, El Ciego. And I honestly think that as long as we have him as the head honcho all the way at the top, kind of overlooking Careca, overlooking uh, Solano and all the other youth teams, then I we need not be afraid of of this nepotism of this you know of these strange relationships. I think that Oblitas uh, is very careful of that, and Oblitas is, has made it very clear that this is this is a meritocracy, right? I mean, I mean, for heaven's sake, Claudio Pizarro didn't go to the World Cup, you know? Right, right. <laughs> I mean, what other example do you want other than that? And so I doubt that it would be going on. You know, in the under 23s, if it's not happening in the national and, you know, in the in the senior team and whatnot. So, well, you know, there's always a, there might be a grain of truth in there somewhere. But no, you know, let's let's not give in to the paranoia, in my opinion. And I also would add the caveat too that Olivares, I think, has only had like five appearances with the Peruvian youth national teams. He only had the one appearance with the under 20s last year. Um, and I think it was only a total of 58 minutes. So, you know, I feel like at least when it comes to the the youth national teams, it's way too small of a sample size and you're playing with different groups of players each time because obviously this one, even though there are some members of that team in this squad, there are different ones as well. Um, you know, those who are older and those who are younger um, who otherwise would not have played with Olivares last year at the uh, Sudamericano Sub-20. Um, and also just 10 starts for Sporting Cristal. And when he has gotten... I guess a consistent run of games, like maybe two or three matches in a row where he at least comes off the bench, he has scored. So there are flashes there, but at 20 years old, you kind of have to start seeing him playing more consistently because otherwise that's a player who's probably going to stagnate and then you're probably not going to see him reaching his full potential. So he obviously has a lot of players to usurp at Cristal, so maybe looking to getting another move abroad. He did go to Portugal last year. Maybe doing that again and and staying there could be beneficial for his career. 
Speaking of potential transfers, Viz, uh, we've actually seen some confirmed or all but confirmed moves happen over the last week or so. So shortly after Edison Flores officially joined DC United, uh, another Peruvian international moved to MLS, and that was Pedro Gaese to Orlando City. Uh, they unveiled him a couple days ago, actually, and they have now given him the nickname El Pulpo because uh, of all the saves he makes. And honestly, I like to go with San Pedro Gaese, even though maybe he hasn't act so, acted so, uh, you know, holy in the last... So saintly. Uh, so saintly, uh, you know, at least with his personal life. But certainly on the pitch, he's been uh, our uh, lord and savior many, many times. Uh, so I'm sure Orlando City is going to be hoping for the same things. Uh, wh- what do you think about him going abroad again? I mean, I feel like this came a year too late because he went to Alianza probably somewhat stupidly. But now that he's back abroad, wh- what do you think about the move? I think it's going to be great for him. I think that... It might it might be really good for for selfish reasons to have him abroad, where he's not in the eye of Peruvian paparazzi. Yes, so he might he might get to cool down and think about life a little bit. It seems from social media that things in his personal life have calmed down a little bit. But hey, let's just let's you know have him in quote unquote exile. You know, hang out with a few Cubans and you know you know calm down a little bit. <laughs> Uh, instead of uh, right in the in the hotbed of everything in Lima, I think it's going to be really good for him. We've seen that the MLS is uh, becoming the market of uh, preference for Peruvians. Uh, looks like half of everyone that went through Mexico has now gone to the MLS. So if this is the path that everybody's following, and if MLS is starting to welcome more and more Peruvians, I'm I'm, I'm okay with that. I think that hopefully that's not the end of the journey you know i I would hope that he has a good season at at mls this year and that that can hopefully open doors to bigger and better things but no i i think it's a good fit overall and i think that he can offer orlando the only worry i have about the move from a playing perspective is orlando is not very good and he had this problem at veracruz where he was just under siege all the time and I worry that the same thing might happen here because I haven't seen a lot of encouraging moves from Orlando's point of view. But I suppose, you know, if that gets him more noticed, maybe that gets him a better move, then I'm all for it. But certainly going abroad again is a good first step for Gaese here to kind of help reclaim some of that maybe slightly uh, hurt stock after he went back to Peru for a year. One player, Viz, who was actually linked to MLS, but it's now looking like that move is off completely, was uh, Carlos Sambrano. He was linked to the LA Galaxy, and Sambrano is now basically all but uh, confirmed to be going to Boca Juniors, because uh, Paulo Goltz is leaving, so Sambrano, who is now available on a free transfer, is going to sign a three-year contract. Considering he's only 30 years old, still in his prime for a defender for at least another three or four years... I think this is a great move. So how do we feel he'll do for Boca, provided that the move does get confirmed, which it looks like it will? Like Chicharito Hernandez likes to say, imaginémonos cosas chingonas, you know? <laughs> let's just wish him Let's just wish him the best. I, I, no, I, I actually think it's a great move. Instead of just being a gypsy, you know, in Europe, going from place to place, if he can settle down in Argentine's, you know, soccer, I, I, to me, you know, if there's anywhere that you're going to go to that's outside of Europe, 
that's that's a great market, and especially especially Boca, who you know have have been you know has been a very important team in the last few years. Semifinal last year in Libertadores, final the year before that. I know that they seem to be trying to you know move some some things around in their club, so they can finally start getting those you know that silverware, and uh, I think that that can be a really really good move. Again, for selfish reasons, for La Selección to have Zambrano there and for Zambrano's career overall, I, I think that that's, that's a very good good spot for him to be to be at and hopefully to get some of that consistency, which I think can make him better. We know how the Argentine league works. It's a big league. They play once, even twice a week, depending if they have, you know, uh, the the Copa going on and, and, and some of the other tournaments going on, which Boca for sure will have uh, some of those tournaments. So that's plenty of chances for him to be a starter, plenty of chances for him to, to get minutes and get some consistency, and hopefully that will translate to to better performances with the national team too. Yeah, and it couldn't have been better timing considering the qualifiers are now basically – well, almost two months away now. So at least he'll get some games under his belt and then maybe try to stake his claim. So, Viz, on that topic, we saw that Sambrano and Aram, who are now both going to be playing in the same league, they were the go-to center-back partnership for Gareca at Copa America, as well as in a couple of friendlies afterwards. Do we feel like now that Sambrano is going to Boca that that's also going to be the center back partnership to start qualifying. Yeah, honestly, let's let's be honest. The only reason or one of the big reasons with Zambrano is, you know, is in Argentina right now and probably going to be signing for Boca, you know, within the next few days. It's probably because Gareca is the one that suggested the move. When that's Gareca right. was probably behind pulling the strings behind all of that. Yep. So I mean, Gareca likes when his players, you know, obey him and and um and take his advice seriously. Yeah, no, I, I honestly do not see anyone else starting right now. I mean, unless a tragedy was to happen, you know, unless one of the two was to get injured or something like that. No, I, I think that those are going to be our center backs for for this um, qualifier campaign and for the Copa America that's coming up too. Yeah, and it, it's going to do wonders for the centre-back competition as well because you have Araujo, who's starting in the Netherlands every week, along with Sergio Peña in the same side at Emmen. You obviously have Alexander Gaians, regular starter for NYCFC. Santa Maria in and out of the team in Mexico, but you know at least he's always going to be a candidate to be called up. So yeah, that I mean, that's, that's always good. Anytime you can have players of that caliber playing in leagues and teams of that caliber, that's always a good thing. And Abraham is someone who could probably end up in Europe uh, in the next six months too. So even more growth from there. Another player, Viz, joining an Argentinian team, that is Wilder Cartagena going to Godoy Cruz, who I believe, if I'm not forgetting, they were in the the Libertadores last year, uh, currently bottom of the table, in the Superliga, but because of how the relegation works, it's very similar to Mexico. It's an accumulation of points over the years. Godoy Cruz are not going to go down. They are more than safe. But he's going to a very solid team and a big team over there in Mendoza. He'll have competition for a place, which could help him. But how important was this vis for Cartagena's future with the national team, considering that when he was at Veracruz, we saw very steady but consistent growth 
And then when he kind of came back to Alianza, he just sort of fell out of the picture. So, so how important is it from that perspective? I think it's very good. I think that Argentina offers the, our, our players a different kind of style, different kind of challenges that help them grow. I let, Let's be honest. I mean, having Cartagena at Alianza Lima another year, playing against Yacuabamba wasn't going to be improving his game much. You know, when when you're in the qualifiers and you got to step in and try to defend, you know, defend Peru against Messi, I don't know if playing against Carlos Estain consistently is going to be doing the <laughs> trick. I mean, I hope that people don't think I'm speaking ill of Liga 1. I mean, I, I enjoy Liga 1. Heck, I enjoy Liga 2. Yes. But, but we want the best for these guys that are going to be representing us. And again, we're seeing another move to Argentina, I mean that that has to speak volumes to Gareca because you know that it's natural for Gareca to know who these teams are and to follow them. Like I I see Gareca on the weekend when he's got nothing to do, right? He ain't watching Russian soccer, you know. He ain't he ain't watching the the German league, you know, the Bundesliga. He's he's tuning on to see what's going on at home, and to have those Peruvians there. Yeah, I, I think that they're that that's that's the right move that's gonna present Cartagena with some some challenges, some some room to grow for sure. Definitely. And it's gonna be exciting to see because he's twenty five years old, somewhere around there, and he obviously lost the year at Alianza after leaving Veracruz, mind you, considering the situation that club was in, it was probably a good thing. Same thing with Gaese. Um, but now that he's back abroad, I think this will help him because he was a player who, again, like I said, you know, when he got to Veracruz, he was very raw, but you could see very, very slow, steady growth in his game and more confidence in his game. And maybe now that he'll have to fight for a place at Godoy Cruz in a better league, that's going to help him in the future. Um, and it'll certainly give him national team recognition as well. Uh, even if he is maybe in and out of the team, at the very least, he's going to be getting quality minutes. Um, so... There's another transfer that was actually quite interesting uh, because we spoke about him earlier. Uh, Fernando Pacheco, he went to Fluminense in Brazil. Came as a little bit of a surprise to people, especially when we heard about the fee. Pacheco was apparently bought for $1.5 million for 100% of his rights. Um, so yet another academy player from Cristal being sold for a pretty good fee. From a Cristal perspective, Viz... What does it say about the club's structure when it comes to this? Because they're one of the only teams that routinely get a profit for their players that they develop. Well, Cristal is doing it okay. Cristal is being smart about this. And one would hope that the other big teams in Lima would, uh, would, would get a clue that Cristal not only has very consistent performances in the in Liga 1, but they're also selling players abroad. I think that Cristal kind of wants to renew itself this year. I mean, we've seen a lot of moves. We've seen a lot of things happening. I mean, we're not going to have Lobaton for the first time in 15 years at Cristal. You know, yep. goodness gracious, that's a change right there. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if they're necessarily going for the title, but, you know, Cristal is always going to finish top three anyways. You know, I mean, they're always going to have a chance in the end to to make it to to the final. For those people that say that maybe he is making this move too early, Paolo Guerrero played at Bayern Munich too for two years. 
before he even had a chance at, at the first team. And that was okay, you know, and, and that's okay, especially when, when you're, you're Pacheco's age, especially when you're younger. Uh, if I, I think he's a diamond in the rough, and I, I think that hopefully Fluminense or whichever other team in Brazil he might end up with in a year or two is able to really, you know, polish that, that talent. Uh, I think that they see something in him. I, I think Careca saw something in him, uh, which is the reason why he was sold for such a high fee. Yeah, and the fact that they paid the fee means that they definitely are going to take it a little bit more seriously as opposed to, say, Alexander Lekaros going to, where was it? It was Vasco da Gama. You know, that's a little bit, obviously it's a free transfer, so, you know, okay, even if we lose him on a free, we don't lose any money. But with, with Pacheco... And yeah, Fluminense can obviously stomach a million and a half dollars. They're a big enough team with, with the financial resources to do it. But you imagine that they're going to want to give him a chance, especially because it looks like Pacheco could be potentially on the radar of the national team, given the, I guess, the the lack of consistent options on the right wing. So maybe Fluminense can say, all right, we're going to have a full Peru international here very soon. He's 20 years old. He's getting caps for the youth national team left, right, and center. This could be a good thing. Um which leads li- nicely into our next question, Viz, from Abel Gamarra at Abalanda81, asking, uh, he had the feeling Pacheco was far from the finished product. For example, he tended to make some poor decisions in the final third. So how do you see him performing in Brazil? So how do you see him uh, faring with Fluminense, Viz? Okay, well, if you expect him to jump on the, the first team and be a regular at the Brasileirão, that's not what's going to happen, and, and I don't think that that's what anyone wants, honestly. It's okay to be in the second squad. It's okay to be part of the reserve for a year or two because, again, he's going to get better competition playing against, you know, uh, Corinthians too than he is going to get playing playing at home with Cristal. I, I, I don't doubt it. I mean, Brazil ex- exports players every year to every continent uh, and i think that they know how to work their youth divisions so i i don't expect him to just be the star uh, overnight like i said i think paulo guerrero is a great example he was sold at what 17 18 and it took him a few years to finally make it into the bundesliga it's fine because in the end paulo you know has become who has become who he became because he started in those youth divisions and he had contact with with coaches and players, you know, that, that really helped him polish his skills before he was ready to just jump right on. It's an investment, and it's a somewhat of a long-term investment. When you have someone like Pacheco move to Fluminense, you you want to make sure that he's, he's, you know, in good shape and that he's, he understands what's going on before you just throw him in there. So... At least I hope that that's what Fluminense has in mind. And I hope that the Peru, Peru fans are okay with not seeing him starting in all the Brazilian games this year or even even next year, you know. Give, give the guy a little bit of a chance. Uh, and I think that in the long run, it's going to be better for his career. Here's something interesting, Viz. Uh, Fluminense's coach, who was hired a few weeks ago, Odair Hellman, he actually coached uh, Paolo at Internacional. 
So maybe potentially Paolo gave a little bit of, uh, you know, shall we say a scouting report when Hellman asked uh, Paolo maybe what he thought about Pacheco. It's very possible. I don't know. And maybe he even contacted Gareca as well, just to kind of get his thoughts. But the fact that you've got a, you know, a former coach of Paolo is now coaching Pacheco. That could be a good thing. And Fluminense, they did finish really low on the table. I think they were 14th last year. They're going to be rebuilding a little bit and, and getting these value deals is a good way to go about that because then they can rebuild themselves and then maybe go for it again uh, here in 2020 and 2021 as well. But in terms of Pacheco, you have to say last year was probably his first full season in terms of like getting starters minutes. Um, I think 1200 something was his like previous high before 2019. He had 2600 minutes uh, in 2019, four goals, two assists. Yeah, those, he did make some poor decisions, but I think you're going to expect that from a young player, especially a young player who I think for the first time kind of got to know what it was like to be a first-teamer day in and day out. And when you just look at the underlying numbers, he was getting in the right positions. Like he averaged, I think, what was it, 0.25 expected goals per 90 minutes, which for a winger is really, really solid. Um, so he could have ended up scoring six or seven goals if he had that, that sort of incisive clinical finishing. So it goes to show you he's doing everything right, except for those little things, which I think can be tweaked with experience and coaching. Um, so I'm excited to see what happens with Pacheco here in the next year or so, because he's a player who I think could could really explode here in, in the next little bit. This is a nice transition, Viz, because uh, we got a question about a player that Fluminense was actually tracking and then chose Pacheco over in the end. At Teacherman Joe asks us, where's Kevin Quevedo going to play? Uh, that is right. Fluminense was looking at Quevedo, but then chose Pacheco in the end and ended up paying a fee despite the fact that Quevedo was available on a free transfer. So I know this is a complicated question, Viz. Where do we feel Quevedo is going to play? And don't worry, I don't know is a good enough answer because I also don't know. At this point, I hope he ends up at Utesen, honestly. <laughs> honestly. I, I, man, I don't know. I, I think I understand that, that his parents probably want what's best for him and that they want to make a really good deal and that, you know, probably his family members are, are counting on that money and, and all of that. I, I, I understand that. But uh, I don't know. He's he's getting too prideful for me. He's disobeyed what <laughs> at least once every year now. Yep. He's hurt Alianza Lima. He's hurt the national team. If we had him right now in the in the pre Olympic tournament against Colombia, holy cow! You know, I mean, I think that that would be that would be a player that that could really make a difference that we we've seen him make a difference we saw him make a difference in the panamericanos and unfortunately i don't, I don't know what it is but uh, he maybe just needs to mature a little bit all every single rumor i've heard about where he's gonna go at this point they all seem like dead ends i haven't really heard anything recently honestly maybe he just needs to go back to alianza lima uh or another local club just kind of Learn to be a little more, little bit more mature before he tries to. I, I think he's the he's the exact opposite of Pacheco, right? Pacheco, I think, is a very humble person, not cocky, not full himself, who has worked really, really hard to get where he 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 is at now, right? And I think Quevedo is just the opposite, and 
I don't know. Maybe those two could, you know, could, could call each other on the phone and, 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 and talk for a little bit. But, um, I mean, honestly, I, I don't see him going anywhere at this point. And I don't know if any club in Peru is even willing to sign him right now. So it's either Alianza Lima or, I don't know, maybe Deportivo Garcilaso is looking for a striker. You know, <laughs> something like that. Sport Ancash. But I'd be more than happy to see him at Sport Ancash. I want to go see him. You know, uh, up in the Sierra, let's see if he can survive for a few months and, uh, you know, come come back a uh, changed man. Yeah, who knows? And then you guys can, and that's the best of both worlds. You rebuild Cavill's career and then Sportan Cacha's back in Liga I, Uno. There I mean, you go. he takes us back to the first division. There you go. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, on that Alianza point, interestingly, today, I, I believe it was, uh, Pablo Bengochea didn't exactly shut the door on a return. He said, and I quote, I hope his future is at Alianza, end quote. And he also revealed that uh, the reports about him being offered a six-year deal or a, or a new one-year deal, that they were presented to Quevedo, but ultimately nothing came of it. So maybe they revisit that in the next little while here, especially if uh, the January window closes and no move has been made. Mind you, being available on a free, you can go at any time. So maybe he doesn't even have to to just wait until the end of January, then that's it. But yeah, it, it's just a crazy, crazy scenario that we're in because when, when you look back to the summertime and all the moves he was linked with, and now to see him sitting around at home doing nothing, it's kind of nuts to see what's going on. Well, we touched on... Sportankash and, and Liga Dos Viz, you know, all the, all the lower leagues and all that. Uh, I want to close up the show with an interesting little discussion here because uh, a little bit of Canadian flavor. Why, why don't we add it to the show? Uh, Jair Cordova, uh, the former Liga Dos Golden Boot winner in 2018, played for Juan Aurich, Alianza Atletico. He was contracted to Carlos Manucci before the 2019 season started, but then ultimately went to Aurich. He is going to play in Calgary for Cavalry FC in the Canadian Premier League. Um, 23 years old is Cordova. He's had very good years in Liga 2. And Viz, as you very well know, there have been a lot of players, especially young players, who started in Liga 2 and then sort of built a reputation for themselves, got a chance in on a team in the top flight, and then kind of went from there. Cordova has never really gotten that chance. Why do you feel, especially considering the lack of Peruvian number nines, young Peruvian number nines, um, why do you think Cordova didn't get the chance in the top flight, at least an extended one, before going to to Canada? Honestly, I don't know. I, I mean, it has to be mostly because, unfortunately... I think the Limenion clubs think that the Liga Dos and the and the provincial uh, clubs are are probably one step below. There has been examples, you're right, of players in Liga Dos that have played really really well, that have shown themselves and ended up in one of the Lima clubs. You have to remember, in a lot of those cases, those players were already linked to either Cristal Alianza or La U. Right. Right. I mean, you, you can say Ruiz Diaz played in, in Liga 2, you know, the Segunda División, like a decade ago. But he was playing on, on the Universitario Reserve squad that was in Liga 2. I can think of, you know, some cases of Sporting Cristal players that were borrowed to second division teams or to lower league teams and then ended up making their way back 
to Sporting Cristal and to the main squad. Honestly, I, I don't know if I have a if I have a for sure answer, but I think that it's probably because he himself didn't really have a a solid footing with any of the of the of the big uh, clubs in Lima. I know that he started his career as a youth. He is from Lima, and he started his career as a youth in, at Alianza Lima. Then again, you could also say that Alianza Lima hasn't, you know, had had the best experiences or hasn't really, you know, with all the, all the financial issues that Alianza Lima has experienced in the last few years, maybe they haven't been keeping keeping track of, of where he has been at. But in the end, I think that it's just that Liga those teams are probably just underestimated, which is a pity because, I mean, obviously we had Grau who everybody's trash during the last Copa Bicentenario. And I hope that those League and Two those teams get get more chances of uh of showing their their level uh against uh the, the first division teams that honestly are not that far away from the level that the second division is, is currently at. So yeah, I mean the good thing is that, you know, someone abroad was looking and, and I hope that he, he has a good a good run in the Canadian League. Indeed, it will be interesting to see how he does do. Uh, and going abroad is never a bad thing, as we've seen for many Peruvian players. Always nice to test yourself outside of your comfort zone, for sure. Uh, so that'll do it for us this week. Thank you again for listening, guys. You can follow me, Peter Galindo, on Twitter at GalindoPW. You can follow the show at Peru Waltz. Uh, Viz, what is your Twitter handle, and are there any shout-outs from you this week? If you're a Peruvian and you're listening and you can, you know, if you got nothing else going on Sunday, just consider stopping by your, your near, uh, nearest uh, polling place and uh, casting a vote just for uh, all your compatriots and family in Peru. It ain't just enough to, you know, just put the jersey on and cheer on the national team when you know that, you know, the, the country that you love so much is struggling, you know, with uh, with political stuff. I'm a political scientist, so you know I'm I'm always talking about this kind of stuff. Uh, it's my my second soccer is you know my my other passion, you know. But political science is my thing. So I, I know I know that you know politics and soccer don't mix sometimes, but uh, just have to say it from the heart, you know. Go go vote, go exercise that right. Other than that, well, you can find me at v i z underscore f c. You say they don't mix, but sometimes they mix a bit too much, unfortunately. But yeah, do indeed go do that if you have the opportunity to. So that will do it for us. This is the Peruvian Waltz team, and we are signing off.